The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chris Sheeran Show, hashtag CSS. I am not Chris Sheeran. I am Doug Williams. But Chris, it happens to be in the first row on the first base side at Steinbrenner Field. Enlighten us. What seat are you in? Section and seat number. Section, uh, uh, golly, I don't know. It just says there's a big B. <laughs> and I, I'm in seat A, and the row is triple A. It is the front row. I'm right, basically right behind where Mark Teixeira will be playing tonight. Great seat, but right now it's a Field of Dreams game that I can't see. So, And how has your trip gone thus far? What have you learned? What have you seen? Well, so far, so good. Uh, went to Bradenton. C.C. Sabathia extended his scoreless inning streak in the spring to 17 straight innings. Now he told us yesterday he doesn't really put a lot of stock in that. He's looking forward to starting the season. But also, you know, he did say, I asked him about struggling last season. Maybe this is a little bit of confidence boost to see where he is. You know, spring training is dicey. You talk to beat writers down here and guys who do this for 20-plus years, and they all say the same thing. Spring training's practice. So if a guy's having an unbelievable spring, say Francisco Savelli, or a guy's having an awful spring, uh, and, you know, insert name here, but you never really can tell when it's spring training. You know, and the pitchers are always ahead of the hitters because they're here, you know, a week before the hitters get here. So you really can't judge anything just yet. But 17 straight scoreless innings, you know, if you or I are doing this for a living and we did this in spring training with being up to our first start, well, we'd have to be pretty happy with ourselves, don't you think, Doug? Right, and I think, uh, I can't remember if it was CC that said this, but, you know, success on the mound is success on the mound. It doesn't matter how fast you're throwing while you do it. If you're pitching well, then, you you know, you should be happy. And, you know, I agree with you, and everyone knows that spring training, you know, you can't look too much into the good and the bad. But the one thing is that when you see a good performance, you can be happy about it. You just can't put too much stock into it. So for CeCe, I do think that we can, you know, expect maybe a better season out of him, out of him after seeing the spring, but it wouldn't be, sh- you know, shock me if his first start was different than the way he's been pitching. No, that'd be completely honest. I mean, I watched the entire game until he came out um, and he threw 43 pitches yesterday. He left a lot of pitches up in the strike zone. And, you know, you pitch in the American League East and and you're leaving sliders and and fastballs up in the zone 89 miles an hour. You know, sometimes you get away with it, but you're not going to get away with it all season long. So his location and command is going to be key. Uh, once he starts getting into these division games and really starting to get going in the season. And I talked to one of his receivers um, today, and that was Francisco Cervelli. And, you know, he recently said that, you know, he'll believe he's on the team when uh, his bags are in Houston and he's sitting in front of his locker. And I kind of piggybacked on that. And I said, you know, you said this last week, you still feel that way. And he said, I understand it's, it's different circumstances now. He considers himself a different player. But, you know, these competitors, these guys who constantly go out there and compete, Doug, this is what really hit me. He said, I'm never going to forget what happened. And basically what he was pointing to was he thought he had uh, the job when they brought Chris Stewart in at the last second a couple of years back. And, you know, that really still stings with him. And he was sent down to AAA. And don't forget, that year he was sent down to AAA when Stewart got here. His Grand Wilkes-Barre uh, Yankees at the time, now Rail Riders, they didn't have a home. 
they were constantly on the road. So he played the entire AAA season. He was called up in September, but he played the entire AAA season basically living out of a suitcase in a hotel. Um, and, you know, he talked about his dad a couple of years back when he went down to Scranton that year. He was miserable. He pouted about it until he talked to his parents, and that's what really turned him around. And he still says he's got his dad at home, and, and he's supporting him, and that's how he makes it through. Um, so that's still something that he looks back on, and, and he's happy he had that time with both of his parents back then, and he was able to have them in his life and uh, have them help him through that difficult time. Because it was, because he had a great spring and that year, and all of a sudden it was like the rug being pulled out from under him. And he, he also went on to say, you know, I'm not going to complain one way or the other. And he brought up that Scranton season. And he said he was talking to the AAA pitching coach uh, the other day, and he says, whenever you get frustrated, whenever you want to complain about something, think about two years ago when you didn't have a home in Scranton and letting it in your suitcase. So he said that really put everything into perspective. He also commented to me about the pitching staff and how it's really deep, and he's happy about what they what they have. Uh, they're all professionals. They're they're really deep, and the only thing with these guys is you and I talked about last week is staying healthy. He said that's the key, and I wanted to get his thoughts on Ron Nova too. And it, it, the, the word that you know it's not shocking. It, it, it's a word that came up last year a lot too. And I said, what's been the difference in him? Immediately, there's the word again confidence. Uh, he knows what his weaknesses are. Uh, he's mature, and he understands what he has to do from the beginning. It's not, he's not going out there anymore, you know, and not challenging hitters and trying to nibble and try to do this and try to do that. He knows exactly what he has to do, and he has a game plan when he goes out there. So, Cervelli, you know, he, he echoes the comments that you and I make and everybody makes. It's just it's a, it's a question of health, Doug, and, and that's that's where this team finds itself. You, know, you got to keep CT healthy. Uh, you got to keep Hiroki Kuroda healthy. And I think this year, with some young arms in the bullpen, that's another topic we can get to. I don't want to rush a bit. But last year, Kuroda, he was basically the only starter that was giving Joe Girardi decent outings every time he went out the first half of the season. And if he if he had to leave him out there eight innings, guess what? He was leaving him out there eight innings because the bullpen was being taxed by the other starters. So this year, you know, hopefully he gets CC to get back to what he's used. I mean, he's not throwing 94. We, we put up a graphic yesterday during the game in Bradenton. His velocity's come down from 94 to 89 since 2009. You know, for the past five years, his velocity's come down a mile an hour a year, pretty much. So, but you'd hope... C.C. Sabathia can make that transformation from a thrower to a pitcher, somebody like an Andy Pettit. I'm not saying, you know, Pettit, Pettit made this discovery. You know, he knew he had to, and he, he knew he had to make that change. He wasn't a power pitcher like he was when he first came up. You know, he had to hit squats, and he, and he had to have his command, and he had to hit his location. That's how he was so successful, and that, that cutter, that slider didn't hurt either. That came in on righty's ankles and started out over the outside corner of the plate. But um, that's the thing. You know, you got to keep Kuroda. you got to keep his innings low. And with young arms in the bullpen, uh, and I'm just assuming from what I'm reading and from the people I'm talking to down here, that Adam Warren and David Phelps are in the bullpen. You know, they're going to make the team and they're going to be in the bullpen. So 
Those are two young arms. Those are two starters. They've, they've been starters their whole career in the minors and spot starters up here in the majors in the bullpen last year, of course. But when you have those two guys, that's an insurance policy because you're not going to burn your specialists in the bullpen uh, every night when you have you know the option of going to Phelps or Warren if you need a couple of innings to get to your setup and your closer and, and to get to that plan that Joe Girardi is going to have. And Dylan Batantis, I mean, we're just talking about him. I'm sorry I'm rambling on here, but I just want to get this all out. But Dylan Batantis, you know, the kid's throwing 97 miles an hour. Uh, he's done everything. His ERA is, you know, like .72 or something like that. He's done everything right this, this spring. And, you know, you would have to think with the two bullpen spots available, he, he's going to get one of these. And if he doesn't, the kid mentally, I don't know what he's going to think because he's just going to be like, well, what more do I have to do? I mean, he just handled himself well. But seeing him in the clubhouse today, you could see, you know, he's got a little angst. He still doesn't know if he made it yet. Uh, the clubhouse closed. They were having, uh, Joe Girardi was having a meeting. We're hoping when Joe talks to the media at 5 o'clock that we'll have some roster moves, uh, if not before the game today, then after the game. And those two infield spots, two that are up for grabs, or two bench spots, I should say, um, the thinking down here, talking to the guys who do this all the time, like I said, uh, they all tend to believe it's going to be Dean Anna and Eduardo Nunez. So there you go. There's my Yankee report, Doug. What do you got for me? Well, I, I totally <laughs> agree with you. I totally agree with you when it comes to Francisco Cervelli, and and it sounds like you guys had a really interesting conversation. It's kind of a testament to the fact that maybe all athletes need that kind of reality check. And, and I think it can be very healthy. Obviously, no athlete wants to go through what Cervelli did in terms of the fact that he had a roster spot one day and then they brought in Chris Stewart and he didn't. That's obviously not something you'd wish upon anybody. But at the same time, it has clearly made him extra motivated. And you want the guy in the locker room who's been playing for his spot and knows that every at bat, every time he's out in the field, that it matters. And that's something that I think must have elevated Francisco Cervelli's play uh, this spring and and possibly contributed to what really has been a dominant spring for him at the dish. Um, And in terms of the bullpen, uh, Batances, I think, is a lock. Um, I would be hard-pressed to to hear any reason why he wouldn't be, uh, especially with this bullpen being kind of uh, weakened by the loss of Mariano Rivera. Everybody kind of moves up in the rotation, and you've got a, a, a weakness in the middle relief area. I think Batances can come in and, you know, help Sean Kelly with the eighth, as well as, you know, coming in the sixth and seventh. Um, you know, the, the question is, Lou and I actually, for the website, uh, shameless plug here, are writing something, just a, a prediction. By the way, Doug. So basically what we're doing is we're predicting those last spots. So Lou and I are predicting who the last spot in the bullpen is and who the last spot in the, you know, the infield is basically we're down to two question marks. At least we think, um, Dean, Anna, believe it or not, Lou and I both think is a sure thing is a lot. Okay. So it's the next spot. Is it Solarte? Is it the guy that can play a bunch of different positions or is it Nunez who can basically only play short and third, but has the more experience. And 
Lou and I both predicted uh, Nunez just because of his experience, his high ceiling. You know, he's and a guy who strong ties to the organization. Exactly. Too. Yeah, he's been a big prospect in the organization, et cetera. And in the bullpen, um, we disagree. Actually, he thinks Matt Daly, who's you know kind of the soft throwing righty, kind of the Corey Wade of years past guy. He would be a little bit uh, similar to David Phelps and Adam Warren. He'd be a middle of the middle of the innings relief kind of guy. I thought, I think that they're going to uh, keep Cesar Cabral up. Um, he hasn't given up a run this spring. He's been really unhittable. He's got a few too many walks, but it's going to be interesting. Do they do they have a second lefty in the bullpen? Do they carry Matt Daly instead, load up on righties, load up on those middle relief guys that can eat up innings? So, you know, it's going to be interesting. Betances, I mean, if he dis- doesn't make the team, I don't know when he's going to because it's not yeah. like he's had a fluke spring, Chris. You and I have both watched him pitch. He's dominant. He's not just a guy who's getting ground balls. He's striking guys out. He's, he's throwing, throwing 97 miles yeah, an hour exactly. for crying out loud. So, yeah, I mean, he's a kid that I followed since, you know, Pinstripes Plus Magazine did a feature on him and Betances and, and ben, Benuelos as the Killer Bees. And um, there was also Andrew Brackman uh, in that mix as well, who's no longer with the team. But I just want to go back to Cervelli, if I can, for a second. And he's another sure. guy, and that's that's what I wanted to say. He's just another guy that I've seen from the time he, he came to the club. And before he even got a taste of, you know, the majors, I we, we talked to him for the dot-com down in uh, Scranton Wilkesbury when he was at AAA, both on-camera and off-camera. He talked to us off-camera for like 45 minutes. He's just the guy you want to root for. And, and like I said last year, last week on, on the Christian show. You know, if you want to get on me for being sympathetic to Cervelli with the biogenesis thing, too, in, in his rearview mirror, get on me. I, I don't care. I'm in the clubhouse. I've known this kid for six years now. But the thing I wanted to say is, remember what I told you, what he said? He said, uh, I consider myself a different player now. You yeah. see it. You could just see it in the way he carries himself in the clubhouse. You could see it when he strides in. You know, it's not that kid who's worrying about, am I going to be here? Am I going to be there? He obviously still doesn't know and doesn't believe he is going to be on this team until Houston, like I said. But if the Yankees do deal him, this kid could start for any other major league team. I'll say it right now. He's that good of a defensive catcher. Um and think about his history, okay? 2009, he comes up in 2008. 2009, the Yankees were six games over 500. Hey, Gardy. The Yankees were six games over 500. I said, Brett Gardner, sorry. That's all right. That's, you know, what you got to do when you're in the first row in, in Tampa. It's, it's pretty much, you know, I, I don't want to call it, it's a reflex action, I guess you could say. <laughs> but going back to what I was saying, team is six games over 500 in 2009. They're teeter-tottering. You don't know which way they're going to go. Everybody, you know, is up in arms. You know, this team should be better. Top of the six down in Atlanta, Chris Medlin has a no-hitter going. Uh, Brett Gardner, who just walked by, perfect timing. He walked the first Yankee base runner of the game and then got picked off. Um, Next batter, Francisco Civelli, home run. Breaks up the no-hitter, pumping his fist around the base. After that game, including that game, the team won 23 of their next 30. And there's still people today who 
point of that game is the turnaround for the 2009 season and really what got this team going to win a World Series. I mean, it was that hit by Cervelli. But then in 2010, spring training, he gets hit in the head. He wears that Gazoo helmet from the Flintstones, <laughs> and he's actually nicknamed Gazoo. But it just seemed like every time he was getting his feet firmly planted, something happened. Then you fast forward to 2011. He gets hit by Elliot Johnson of the Rays. He gets bowled over at home plate, breaks his foot. And then, as we mentioned, 2012, he gets demoted the day before the season started. And that's when he had that conversation with his parents. And then last year, of course, you know, he solidifies himself as the starter. And then he fractures his hand, and then he gets the suspension. So I mentioned that to him today, and he just shook his head when I said it. You know, I didn't really want to bring up all the bad news, but, you know, I think it's worth noticing and worth mentioning yeah. that all this stuff happened because that, you know, was it Nietzsche who said if whatever doesn't kill you it makes you stronger? Um, Cervelli must be <laughs> able to pick up, you know, the entire stadium. That's how strong he is. With all the adversity he's had to face over his career, uh, that's another reason why you just look at him and you see it and you're like, yeah, I could see, I could definitely see why he just said that I'm a different player. You put all thing into the you put all those things into the old hopper there and you wind it around a little bit. He's not the kid that he was in two thousand eight. He he's a grown man and you just hope that his locker is completely stacked in Houston and he's there when they say play ball, as he said, because he's just somebody you like to root for. Well, that's, I mean, that's great insight, Chris. And, and it's, it's interesting to get insight of that nature into a guy like a backup catcher. You know, a guy who on this Yankees team is going to play in, well, with Brian McCann as the starter. You don't, you don't even know if he's going to get to 100 games. You don't even know how big of a part he's going to be on this team. And that's kind of why you don't really know if you root for him to get traded, if you're a fan of the guy, because there are teams out there, like you said, who could use him as a starter. And now he's going to be a backup with the Yankees. It's probably where he wants to be. He wants to win the job. But, you know, part of him probably says, well, there are some teams uh, that are really weak on catcher, you know, in, in, in the majors all over, you know, the National League, the American League. There are teams out there that could use me, and I could start. That's got to be going through his head. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, if it doesn't work out here, if something, you know, if he's waiting for the other shoe to drop and that shoe does drop, he's going to be someplace else, and he'll be the starting catcher. I, you know, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, he's put in the work. As you said, his numbers are ridiculous this spring, hitting over 400. Uh, but, you know, when the Yankees look at catchers, they look at that as gravy. You know, Joe Girardi says it all the time, and I'm like a, a parrot on this show. As the music kicks up here at Steinbrenner Field, if you hear something. Uh, but it doesn't matter about the hitting. Catcher is called catcher for a reason. And Cervelli embodies that phrase that is in perpetuity in um, Joe Girardi's arsenal of uh, things that he says to the media. But, you know, it, there's just, there's still, Doug. No matter what way you want to look at it, there's still questions about the starting rotation. You know, Sabathia with the 17 innings, scoreless. You know, you look at that, fine, well, good. Season hasn't started yet. He's only at 89. You know, he, he has hit 90, 91, but he's consistently at high 80s. And, you know, the changeup coming in at 82, like a six-mile-an-hour difference, 
They want it to be 10. So it, it, it's going to be a process with him. It's going to be a process with CC, you know, reinventing himself. And I think that process started this spring, and he's starting to see results. Uh, but, you know, Hiroki Kuroda, we know that he didn't win after April 12th last year, or August 12th, excuse me. Um, just a rough back end of the season, but that's because of his workload before the season. If it wasn't for Hiroki Kuroda, the Yankees wouldn't have been the position they were in in September to make a run at the playoffs. He was one of the main reasons, and CC would say that all the time, uh, how huge Kuroda was for this team last year. So you hope he can give the same effort, but this time the entire season, and Joe Girardi could protect him and his innings on the mound, and you have those young kids out in the bullpen, and that helps too. Uh, moving right along, Nova, as I mentioned last week, I think Nova is the key to this rotation. Nova needs to be ace-like to take some pressure off CC, to take the pressure off Kuroda. And you also need that out of, you know, a guy in Tanaka who's never thrown a ball in the major leagues either. The back end of the rotation is top-heavy. Think about it. And those three guys, when you're talking about a young guy in Michael Pineda, who also hasn't thrown in the major leagues in a couple of years, uh, Tanaka and Nova, if those guys could be innings eaters, the other two at the top of the rotation when the season starts, the pressure is off of them. They don't have to do as much. Think about it last year. When pitchers went to the mound, Doug, and they were down 2-3-0 with oh, yeah. the offense they had, I mean, mentally, you pitched. You, you know, like you know, in certain games, in certain, certain situations, if 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 you're going out there and you have to mentally say to yourself, "All right, I have to be perfect. I can't let anything else happen, or we're going to lose this game." Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna rely on Luis Cruz to come in and drive drive in three runs next right. inning. Right, and you know, I'm not. Listen, they were in the major leagues. I'm not trying to knock anybody who was in the major leagues last year, but. The difference between this year's lineup and last year's lineup is as far as a 180, as far as night and day, as those two definitions could be made. Um, but as I said last week, this is an exciting year to look forward to for this team. You know, today you're going to see Tanaka and Kuroda pitch. Uh, tomorrow you're going to see Nova, his final warm-up. And then before you know it, Doug, Tuesday night, 530 on yes, pregame in Houston. And away we go, the 162-game marathon. It's really unbelievable, isn't it? It's, uh, it's hard to believe it's back. And I actually wanted to get your, your take on something, Chris. Uh, have, you, have you been uh, honing it all on the uh, Miguel Cabrera new contract? <laughs> it's, you know uh, my thoughts on that, Doug. <laughs> he's decently, decently well-paid. You know me. Uh, listen, he's 31. He's going to be 41 when it's over. Now, the guy is a freak. He's a beast. He's any word you want to come up with with a hashtag on Twitter to talk about someone who could rake at the plate, it's Miguel Cabrera. But these 10 year deals, I don't know when teams are going to learn. I know that's how, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's how you keep these guys now because you're afraid to lose them. So you give them this ridiculous amount of money and you give them the 10 years. But it happens to everybody. Guys break down, you know, and, and basically you're going to have a guy who could probably barely get to home plate when he's 40, 41 years of age. I might be wrong. We might be talking about this 10 years from now, and he could be hitting 40 home runs as a 40-year-old. I don't know. He's that sick. He's that kind of a freak of nature that could do that. But 
how teams didn't learn from certain other players with 10-year deals. Uh, you know, you got your pool horses, you got your Alex Rodriguez's. You know, there's not too many of them, and there's a reason. And now, you know, Cano got one out in Seattle. Yep, I mean... So, I, I just... I, I, I understand why the Tigers would do it, but at the same time, they have to do that being cautiously optimistic that they're not just going to have someone to put fannies in the seats instead of being productive come eight, nine years from now. Yeah, I think that they let their worry that he would leave blind them a little bit. Like, And, and the GM of the Tigers said that. He said, I just did not want to risk the the idea even the the idea that crept into my head that he would leave I, I couldn't risk it and I understand that you don't want Miguel Cabrera to leave he's the best hitter in baseball and he's you know been a back to back near triple crown winner and you know it's really just to me it's unbelievable that we don't seem to learn and the, you know the Cano deal with the Mariners Cabrera resigning with the Tigers these deals have proven to not work. I mean, Albert Pujols right now is in like year three or four of his deal with the Angels. He's only 34 years old, but he plays like he's 45. And we right. saw we saw Miguel Cabrera last year in the playoffs, like totally break down. He could barely run to first base. And, you know, he might be totally healthy this year. I'm not sure. But he's not the kind of guy who seems to be, you know, an athlete that will hold up for years. He could totally prove me wrong. And granted, I totally agree. He is the best hitter. He can absolutely rake. But what once the bat is flipped, he really can't do much. You know, like once he's running the baselines, once he's in the field, he's a liability. So it just doesn't doesn't really make sense to me. I don't think he was going anywhere right away. And also with the Max Scherzer deal, that complicates things too because they're not going to be able to sign him now, it doesn't look like. And they really just should have, I think they should have displayed their, you know, kind of um, spread out their focus a little bit more. Well, yeah, and Scherzer, basically, if he has another one of the seasons that he had last year, and why wouldn't he? Um, he could basically hold up any team <laughs> for the amount of money he wants, uh, and it, it, it might not be the Tigers. Uh, you're absolutely right, uh, because if you know, they give this guy three hundred close to $300 million, and Scherzer says, look, I, I just had two 20-win seasons uh, in a row. Uh, I want $200 million. Well, we're not going to give it to you. Okay, we'll get it from somebody else. I mean, that, that, that's, and, and why shouldn't that be his attitude? You know, if you're going to take care of Miguel Cabrera, take care of me. Yeah. You know, it, Miguel Cabrera is nothing if I'm not out there throwing zeros on the scoreboard. And people uh, are. Go ahead, Doug. I was just going to say, people are uh, so disgusted with Scherzer for turning down $240 million. And, and And while that sounds absolutely insane to most of us, the one thing is maybe he realizes he's going to get that kind of money anywhere. And maybe he doesn't want to be in Detroit for the rest of his career. Maybe know, that he could wants be, that to could be it too. Yeah, that that could definitely be it. Um, just real quick on Mark Teixeira, we talked to him too earlier today, uh, and he was talking about his wrist and about taking full swings. Uh, he, he said it was something he didn't know what he was doing, and Kevin Long uh, and and him have been working the past week at taking that full swing. What we know and what they noticed watching the tape from spring training is that he was protecting his swing way was when he was hurt last year, and he said, I have to be sure I take my full swing left-handed, and the last game was the first game that all of my swings I was taking my full swing, so it was against the Pirates and Bradenton yesterday. And it felt good, and the rest responded well, so it was a good sign. So that's good news for Yankees. And also, uh, he went on to say it feels good. You could tell when he overdoes it. 
and he tries to stay on his plan. Anytime he says he tries to deviate from the amount of swings that he wants to take, it, the wrist will tell him, back off. And then again, I know I'm going to get stronger as the season progresses, and I know it's going to get better as the season goes on. I just need to stick to the kind of plan of how many swings to take and how much effort to put into it. Um, I, I just want to get this all out there because people need to know. Uh, he said he would do it in BP, too, taking the full swing. So the last couple of days in BP, he was making a uh, concerted effort to take the full swing. Right-handed, he said he never has a problem with the wrist. Uh, left-handed, mentally, he has to continue to remember it's healthy now, and every now and again, it's tight, and it can get sore, but I still have to take that full swing. He didn't have a lot of expectations coming out of the spring, and knock on wood, come tomorrow. Oh, he said he didn't have a lot of expectations coming out of spring training. The one thing he wanted to do, he's not even paying attention to the numbers because he's convinced that the numbers will come around as soon as he knocks all the rust off. He wanted to be healthy. And he said, quote, knock on wood, come tomorrow, I will do that. And he said, I feel like I'm ready for the season. Uh, he said he's been hitting some nice line drives. He needs to get under them a bit more, make them home runs. He said that will also come as the season goes on and he gets stronger. And he said, like I said, no one can predict baseball, what the season's going to give you. But what I do know is that for six weeks of spring training, I'm healthy, and that is a good sign. So it was all about health with Tex and making sure he broke camp uh, with nothing going on. He says his legs are good. Uh, they're good underneath him. And the wrist so far, you know, he said it gets sore. He said he has to back down a little bit sometimes, but there's nothing structurally that is uh, wrong with it. And he says it's responding to the treatment. Um, but he has to make a concerted effort to every time he's up there, take his full swing. And now that they're heading to Houston, he said, you know, a lot of problems with spring training is you don't have a lot of camera angles. And when they watch tape, they can't really break down the swing the way they could when they're at a major league ballpark. So now that the season is going to start, uh, he and Kevin Long will be able to see some different angles and even delve into it even deeper. So it's all good news with Tex. He just has to start getting some that, you know, find the fairway, <laughs> as uh, I used to say when I played. I still do, but you don't need to know that. But when the ball finds some green, uh, it's good. And with the shift, you know, uh, every once in a while, it's been hard for Tex to do that. But he's very confident in his abilities. And someone asked him, too, about, you know, every year he wants to do 30 and 100, and he brought up that that's his goal once again. He wants to do that again this year. So mentally, Teixeira is ready to go. We don't know if the average is going to be there early on in April, but you just hope to see that the wrist starts coming around and you start to see some power. And if you see that, if you see some hard outs, uh, if you see some base hits falling, uh, you don't have to worry about Mark Teixeira too much. So, Well, that's great that's stuff, Chris. Yeah, I mean, and, and... I mean that... go ahead, Doug. I was just going to say, it's good news for Yankee fans, and, and, and obviously his left-handed swing is most important. And for the fans out there that don't know, it's simply because you face a lot more righties in a season than you do lefties, and he hits righties from the left side. So he really does need to get that swing going. It's not just something that he mentally is, is, is figuring out. It's also something he knows to be productive. He's going to need that left-handed power swing to put some, uh, put some fly balls past the, the short porch and right. Absolutely, Doug. But, uh, you know, just two games remain today, tomorrow down here in Tampa, and they will peace out of Tampa on Saturday and head to Houston and get ready for the season to start. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited for baseball to be back. I can't wait. And this is this might be the best time of the year, Chris. We got 
uh, Sweet 16, Elite 8. We got uh, baseball opening day coming up. We have NHL and NBA playoffs coming up. This is the best time of the year. This is, this is like next month. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much Christmas in April because uh, everything is – and don't forget the Masters. You can throw the Masters in there too. That's true. Uh, That's very true. Of, second week of April. So you got a lot of stuff going on. But the main focus uh, with all of us at Yes is the guys I'm looking at warming up on the field right now. Uh, Carlos, Carlos Beltran is out there. Siri, knock it off. I'm talking to Doug. Siri was talking to me. Sorry about that. <laughs> Carlos Beltran, Brett Gardner, all playing, playing long toss. And, you know, it's just good to smell the grass, good to be in some weather. It's a little drizzly, but you know what? I'll take that. It's about 76 degrees. Uh, very nice, considering coming from 24 in New York a couple of days ago. So yeah, it must that's be gonna nice. Ra- that's going to wrap it up for me down here, Doug. I, I you know only been down here a couple of days, but having a good time, and I'll see you on TV tomorrow when the Yankees wrap it up against tomorrow. All right, man. Well, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll end right there as well. So that's been the uh, Chris Sheeran show. We'll be back next week, and, and Chris will be, I think, right back here in Stanford, and we'll do a regular episode at a regular time. And uh, we thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next time.